what's the point of trade shows? Are these exhibition events actually worth going to? Well, DPP representatives were among the 40-odd thousand people at the recent IBC 2023 conference in Amsterdam, where we also hosted our own gatherings. And to help answer the question about industry mega-events, DPP CEO Mark Harrison caught up with media professionals to hear about their best and worst trade show experiences. Hello and welcome to the DPP podcast. I'm Edward Qualtro, Editorial Director at the DPP, and I have a series of vignettes and discussions to share with you that DPP CEO Mark Harrison had at the September 2023 IBC event in Amsterdam. There are numerous short conversations to get to, and I will list all of those contributors now before introducing small groups of those, which for no particular reason are in a largely chronological order of when Mark spoke to them, and our experts for this episode discussing their IBC experiences and the best and worst of trade shows are Eric Carson from Vubiquity, Larissa Gurner and Pauline Depierre from Proximus Media House, Andy Beale, certainly no industry veteran, but a media expert who until recently was chief engineer and head of innovation at BT Sport, where he worked for a decade. Tom Griffiths from ITV, Lucy O'Brien from Redal Communications, Craig Wilson from Avid, Anne Dargish from Transperfect, Jenny Nicholson from Deep Dub, Chris Critchlow from Deliveroo, and from Dub former Anton Dvorkovic, Olga Suvorova, and Irina Divnogordseva. First, the DPP kicked off IBC with its own event, the Espresso Summit, which took place on the morning of Friday the 15th of September. We had sessions covering hybrid cloud, Web3 and media, great streaming experiences, and a lively discussion about whether the industry has reached peak remote. And at the DPP event, Mark caught up with Eric Carson, Executive VP for Sales and Strategic Growth at Vubiquity, Larissa Gurner, CTO at Proximus Media House, and her colleague Pauline Depierre, Head of Editorial and Digital Content, Andy Beale, and Tom Griffiths, Director of Technology for Content Supply and Distribution at ITV. And here's what they had to say, as well as a short preamble from Mark explaining his quest. And for Tom's recording, it was just so bustling at the DPP event that I've had to cut the beginning of the audio. And it opens with Tom talking about the dullest and most boring periods of media trade shows before he talks about the best. My name is Mark Harrison and I'm the CEO of the DPP. And I'm here in Amsterdam for IBC, a place where, of course, the DPP, like many others, is, is busy meeting with uh, current and future customers and also uh, putting on and taking part in events. We do a really serious insight report from trade shows uh, such as NAB and IBC in which we take a look at the balance between what customers are telling us they are looking for from the vendor community currently and then what those vendors are actually managing to supply. So our report called IBC 2023, Demand versus Supply, will be published uh, towards the end of September. So that's where you're going to get the heavy hitting insight. But I wanted to do something rather different in the course of this trip. I wanted to speak to a few people about their whole experience of being at trade shows over the years. What's been really great for them and what perhaps hasn't. 
So I caught up with a few folks to ask them all about that and, and here's what I heard. Eric, would you care to introduce yourself? I'm Eric Carson. I take care of executive strategy and growth for Ubiquity. And it's a new role for you, I think, isn't it? It's a brand new role. It's, it's, a, it's a new fit. It's a good fit. I'm very excited to be with Ubiquity. So. Now, you've been to a few trade shows. I think this is my 18th IBC, Mark. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, what would you remember as being like the most exciting moment in your time at IBC? Honestly, I, the most exciting moment I had at IBC is this was where my first company, we closed our first piece of business on the show floor. Customer from Japan, shockingly enough. Uh, great time. I mean, you, you get so excited seeing somebody sign that contract for the first time. My tech is good. People believe in us. I, it, it holds a special place in my heart. It actually happened right here in the show. On the show floor, yeah. It was fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And was that part of a great time for you generally? I mean, what would you say were the most exciting years yeah. for you? I think those, it, you know, we had that whole industry transition from tape-based workflows to file-based workflows. Very exciting time in the industry. So many challenges to be solved all at once. You know, how, how, do we, how do we digitize a massive amount of content? How do we preserve the creative intent? How do we recreate metadata that was written or, or, or tracked in some other way into a way that can be easily exchanged? Uh, it was such a massive undertaking and you got to know so many people from so many different places trying to solve similar challenges. Um, and we had a very collaborative way to work together that I, I appreciate it. So. so that's, I guess, like sort of what, 10, 12, 13 years ago, that kind of time, wasn't yeah. it? And, and would, you, would you say that actually that marked a bit of a step change in the industry where people generally became more collaborative? I think so. I mean, that's really where we started to have um, a, a bunch of work, not necessarily just on industry standards, because MXF came out of that time, uh, BXF came out of that time, but we had a lot of ad hoc people coming together to say, look, APIs can work in a similar way, and, and we don't have to worry about uh, vendor lock-in. We can have actual exchange, and everybody uh, takes a step forward together. So yeah, yeah, great days. But what about the dullest days? Oh you God! I think right <laughs> after, right after that file-based transformation, we had everybody's looking for what was next, and that next hot thing was like in-home 3D, which was such a bag of hurt, right? <laughs> just a massive amount of spend for nothing to come out of it, with just ridiculous amounts of tech investment that never went anywhere. It's so true, though. I, mean, I remember like a few years after that. It's like every single year. People were trying to name the big thing, weren't they? Yes. And it, it never really was. Never, never happened. I mean, really, the next big thing occurred maybe 10 years later as, as HDR hit, right? And now we have, oh, this is visually actually stunning. And now we have, you know, high frame rate HDR. These are things that improve the user experience. And I think that's what in-home 3D was trying to do and just never pulled off. Uh, yeah. So. And anything that you think you called early? I think, honestly, that that explosion when we were trying to do file conversions and, and there was a bunch of, if you remember, it was a fully interlaced world back then. So preserving uh, the intent out of interlaced into progressive video and how do we find those type of artifacts? How do we correct them? How do we preserve and, and not screw up the motion? Uh, how do we move from uh, a fixed frame rate to a, to a frame rate that we can use across uh, geographic territories? That was a great one. And I got to work with so many of my friends from Amberfin and Snell and, and those guys early, early on. Those are friendships you keep forever because it's, it's a technical, uh, technical bit of challenge together. And your biggest mistake? Oh, God. I was uh, very early on in my career. I could not get my head around how to deal with uh, applications that would share computing resources from disparate data centers. And it, it caused me for almost a year to, to get my to not be able to get my head around cloud computing. Uh, very embarrassing. I think yeah. you're doing all right now. Doing okay now, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Mark.
So I'm now joined by two uh, relatively new members of the DPP. Hi, I'm Pauline De Pierre from Proximus Media House. And I'm Larissa Gurner. I'm the CTO of Proximus Media House, working with Pauline. So, um, yeah, we are both a broadcaster and a service provider within the Belgian market. So Proximus Group is our mother, former Belgacom, a telco. But we run actually everything a normal broadcaster has, plus have a huge fiber network and, of course, a lot of content. And we are here to understand how we can better manage our content in the future. Fantastic. Now, tell me, um, when you think back over your careers in this business, has there been a particular moment when you know there's been some innovation or some change and you thought okay this is it this is important and actually you ended up being wrong about that being wrong ah well i would think 3d <laughs> 3d was definitely something i you thought, thought was that was it and i was so into it but at that time it was too early but yesterday i learned 3d is going to come back so it was mentioned because of the Apple ad, the Apple oh, glasses, yeah. it will make it. And so I think we are going to do another round on 3D. Well, I can tell you actually that I, I've realized something because I've been going to the Consumer Electronics Show for a long time now. And, and basically 3D comes down in a 10 year cycle. So it's, it's about <laughs> you again. Yeah. <laughs> How about for you? Well, I look more into the whole funneling where you put your content, etc. And so I've been, I've been somehow amused by the whole what you put before the paywall behind the paywall do are we going to do windowing are we going to do snippets do we use social for that do we use our own app for it and so there's been a whole meandering kind of like parkour that we've done to kind of like get somewhere i think for more of the classic media like like articles etc that's kind of settled i think it's not settled yet on on video content and so i'm kind of curious to see what where that goes yeah there is no playbook is there no there really? is not and you have to test and you have to also see how countries are different you know rights uh, will allow you to do other things social media platforms will allow you to put some things geo-blocked some are not so you kind of have to work around those boundaries as well which is yeah, a parkour. No, very much. So do you think our conversations in the industry around that are actually a bit too generic? Do you think we talk enough about the differences between different regions and different countries and different models? Well, for me, there there's definitely a local aspect which is important. Um, and then, well, being Belgium with different languages, a small country, that also makes it very different from other companies where you have big international players coming in. So um, it's more about looking to other countries and getting the best lessons than kind of like, and then building up your own strategy from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you both very much. Have a Thank great you. show. So I've just managed to find a quiet corner with Andy Veal. Um, hi, Andy. Because you're at a very interesting stage of life because you're actually, probably for the first time ever, here independently in, in uh, the IBC show. Hi, Mark. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. And by the way, thanks for a fantastic um, espresso meeting this morning. Oh, fantastic. Good, good. Um, no, you're right. So interesting times. I've come to IBC show for the first time as... Um, as someone who's independent, I guess you might call it. So having finished um, after a wonderful um, 10 or so years with BT and and seeing BT transform into what's become TNT as part of the Warner Brothers Discovery family. And now I'm taking the opportunity to look for um, next opportunity. So here independently, as you say. And, and you know, when you think back over that time, all your years of trade shows, um, what would you say was the most exciting moment for you? Was there, was there a particular period that 
where it was just great to be at a trade show. I remember coming to my first IBC, I think it was 1998, and I was 20, and I came with the manufacturer I was working with at the time for a system integrator, and we had a shared booth with Trilogy, communications company, and just the being here was so exciting, meeting all these amazing broadcasters, customers, other manufacturers, seeing the, the scale, and you kind of take it for granted after you've been here all these time, and you've dragging yourself around the ride but actually back then that's a mind-blowing experience and I remember being totally enthralled by the whole thing and I remember a funny story I remember going and sitting in a couple of the free conference sessions watching with awe as these fantastic people presented either their white papers or concepts I remember thinking to myself I, I just can't imagine how do you get to be someone like that and I was very lucky that I then got invited a few years back to, 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 to present a white paper on around UHD at the time I remember pinching myself remembering that 20 year old me oh, sat, in, sat in the audience thinking I'm actually you know now, now doing what I watched someone else do through very young eyes and it's, um, and it's, been, it's been an amazing time Of course you know you then became one of those people that everyone is trying to get a meeting with um, so yeah, have you managed to maintain your excitement or, or has there ever been a really, a really dull time for you in in the history of uh, trade shows, <laughs> I mean, I've, I'm really looking forward to this show actually. And, and I, since we came back from COVID, it's been brilliant. I had a bit of a, a, a paradox moment just before COVID. I mean, we were here in 2019, and it was funny because in some ways we did some amazing stuff in a bit of collaboration between my old colleagues at BT Sport and Media Broadcast. We had some amazing demos around you know, 8K and 5G and some some fun stuff around the fun run with some of our talent and all yeah, sorts I of. It, yeah. But at the same time, I remember walking around the show monotonously going from meeting to meeting, as was the habit with trade shows back then, certainly for us, um, rushing to meetings where, to be honest with you, the product productivity and output was, was not really worth the investment in time because we would rush in, sit down, get a cup of coffee, make pleasantries, and suddenly, before you know it, you've hardly even looked at the product portfolio or the roadmap, and you've got to rush off the next one, and you're probably then late, and so you spend the whole day feeling rushed. And I took a very conscious decision after that, when we came out from COVID, to only take one or two really important strategic meetings with people you definitely couldn't see or people that were going to be strategically important to us. And that gave me much more time to go and look for other interesting startups, listen to some more of the conference, spot insights and trends, really set much more of a strategic view about the industry and meet the people I wanted to meet. And more importantly, the ones I didn't know I wanted to meet, but I did discover them. And I found that a much more refreshing and exciting experience. And I got a lot more out of it. I think I was able to bring much more back in turn to the business. So you actually did walk the floor, which yeah. of course, once you get to a senior role, most people don't get to do, do they? It was really, really hard. And people thought I was a bit mad for doing it because they said diaries will be full. But I actually got everything we needed out of it. Um, and as I say, it's able to spot those trends and see startups and incubating ideas and meet people and those serendipitous moments will actually give you huge value. Um, most of the vendors, we, we're in talking to them all the time anyway, so you know, I don't need to have that conversation. And to be honest with you, as a CTO of a big broadcaster, if I don't know what's coming for a key partner, then what am I doing, right? I'm telling gone, <laughs> something's gone wrong. So it's my job to know what they're going to be relieving a little bit before RBC anyway. So that was much more valuable. Has there been a technology that you failed to spot that became really important that you felt you should have been on to sooner that's a great question I suspect um, I was a cloud skeptic four years ago um, a little bit because I it was struggling to understand um, how we could really apply it at scale um, to the really interesting niche demands of the media industry um, and so perhaps Paid less attention than I should, and now what's been really interesting and um, starting to peel back the layers, and, to, and it probably wasn't mature then, but I probably didn't give it enough respect. And I think probably 
Um, that's probably the best example. But it's, it's surprised me, and then it's obviously going to be, you know, absolutely front and centre of everything. Not just the non-demand um, media supply chain solutions, but for sure it's going to be front and centre of live workflows continuously. I mean, it, it, software-defined production with a combination of prem and on-prem type cloud, but eventually public sector cloud will, will, will own everything we do. I think eventually. So, so that one you may become a little bit late to. Anything though where. You called it early, and you were going. This I can tell you, this is going to be significant. The um, probably the importance of MXF. I remember seeing the presentation from Bruce Devlin, and I thought this is absolutely brilliant. This is going to be game-changingly fascinating. At the time, he had a little tiny booth with Amberfin, I think it was, yeah. trying to convince people of the future. And now, you know, that is the that's the founding principles of AS11. It underpins all of the media supply chain workflows we do today. A really fundamental piece of work. But at the time, poor Bruce was sort of on his own evangelising why this was going to be something so important to get away. And now, we, you know, it's, it's the basically the founding footprint for IMF and everything we now do. And you couldn't imagine a world, could you now, a media supply chain world without those kind of really important pieces of work. Um, but back then, of course, everyone was in a videotape world. You know, we were still making a transition to HD. Um, it was, it was, Bruce was ahead of the HD curve with some of this stuff and, you know, around um, IMX type time and um, and that stuff. And I remember sitting in a session and going to talk to him afterwards because I thought he's on something here. There's something so important about mess data um, capture at source and delivery through the project lifecycle to add real value, intrinsic ongoing value. Excellent. Great to talk to you, Andy. Brilliant. Have a good nice show. To, nice to see you too, Mark. Thank you. All that was really going on was we've got a faster, better, bigger, quicker kind of thing. There was not, It was just sort of up, almost upgrade for upgrade's sake. I'm trying to think. It was probably maybe 10 years ago, maybe even a little bit actually when UHD was coming along a little yeah. bit. It was just like we've got a, you know, a bigger screen, we've got a, a faster device, but it didn't really have anything to offer that was kind of really going to change the business. It was just do, a, do an upgrade, buy a faster car. Right, right. And the best time, the time when you felt, oh my word, this industry is actually quite exciting? I think probably, if you take COVID out of the equation, I think the last five or six years have been quite interesting that, just because there's so much change happening in the industry. The show is changing quite a lot. The nature of suppliers at the show is changing. We're getting to get a bit more um, truly transformational kind of thinking at the exhibition. So does that mean that actually trade shows started to feel more worthwhile for you rather than less? Ooh, that's a good question. If I'm honest, I still think that the thing that, certainly in the last few years, the thing that I really get out of this as much as I think the conversations I have with peers as it is, I mean the vendor, you know, I come with deliberate intention to go and look at vendor sites, but it's those conversations with peers about what are they doing, what are they finding, what are the trends, those can be incredibly insightful. So what is, what is the worst thing a vendor can do to try and get your attention? I think it's the um, sell without listening, I would, I would call it. They, you go along to the stand and they, they don't even really find out about your context or anything else, it's just, here's my widget, I've got this great thing, you need it. And it's like, well, I'm not sure I do, actually. <laughs> and if they want to get on your, on, into your best books, uh, what do they do? Find out what problems we're trying to solve. What are we, you know, why are we here? Why have we even come? You know, what, what, what's the, what are the things we're looking for? If you find that, then, the, then you open up a much better conversation. To other people who listen rather than people Yeah, who yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks, Tom. That was Eric Carson, Larissa Gurner, Pauline Depierre, Andy Beale and Tom Griffiths at the DPB Espresso Summit, which was enabled by sponsors 3 Media, Periphery, Storage, Backlight, Couchbase and Live Peer. So thank you to them for enabling us to put on that morning.
Next, Mark hit the show floor, and while visiting the stands, he spoke with Lucy O'Brien, Customer Success Director for EMEA at Riedel Communications, and Craig Wilson, Product Evangelist for Video and Media at Avid, and a seasoned podcaster himself. I've just managed to find Lucy O'Brien on an extremely busy Riedel stand. Um, yes. So tell me about your new job, Lucy. Yep, so I am Director of Customer Success for EMEA. Um, so my new role involves looking after pre-sales, post-sales, project management um, and all demos and exhibitions and training for Riedel under the Emir banner. And you're in week how many? Two. I've literally been here ten days. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a in, out of the frying pan into the fire, I think. Uh, and now, of course, you're on the you're on the vendor side, having spent many years on the customer side. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, in your history of going to trade shows, uh, has there been a time that for you was particularly exciting? I think for me, my first ever trade show was I think 2002, might have been 2003, and I went to NAB, um, and that was particularly exciting because Sony XD Cam hadn't really launched, and it was all like backroom things and the Panasonic P2 cards. And I had, I'd gone with my dad who's worked for CBS, so I had the privilege of being in those back rooms, being shown brand new breaking you know, technology. And that was exciting because it was the first time I was very fresh into the industry, but even I could see this is gonna change things massively. Um, so that was exciting. Yeah, that was like a big move to digital moment. Huge it? move to digital. And, and you know, when you're, when you've grown up with somebody who works in news, just the realization that not having to carry around tapes everywhere, and it, like the length of the video you could record was longer, and that was just going to make fundamental changes in the industry, and it has. Like that's definitely changed things. Yeah, yeah, one of those few paradigms, genuine paradigms. Yeah, absolutely. And the dullest time or dullest year for you? I think maybe last year was a bit only because maybe because maybe because of covid we'd all seen you know we've all been talking about the move to cloud for ages and there wasn't anything that was particularly new and wowy last year i think trade shows are more about the personal connection i don't see as much huge launches of something because actually that's happened as it's gone because companies want to get it out there probably there's less being held back there was a lot a long time where everything was being held back for ibc or nab or something else I don't feel like we're in that zone anymore. I think people try and get new products out there. You're right. There's not quicker. the same kind of announcement culture anymore. Not really. Not not that I've not. It doesn't feel like that's the case. And I think maybe COVID changed that as well because everything went online during COVID. In your time when you were on the customer side. Yeah. Did you have any kind of excruciatingly terrible moments of the way that vendors interacted with you? I think for me. Uh, the, the worst part is being overlooked because I was a female on the stand or in a, in a meeting room and that, and that happened quite a lot and it's quite frustrating and it's getting better but that is always, it's, it's, it's embarrassing for everybody in the room when it's kind of called out by, by a different colleague so that's not great, you know. Oh right, so you actually have moments where like a male colleague point out that actually... Actually, you should, yeah, you should be speaking to her, she's got the money or, or just like that, she, she's the project manager on this, not, not me, I'm just here as a, you know, so it's, it was always, even when you were just, a, I was just a project engineer and yet you were like the lead of that and people would still bypass you and that's frustrating. <laughs> 
can I just ask when when then they realised? Yeah. Did they generally make the shift okay, or did they still speak to you a bit differently? I think they made the shift okay, but it was really obvious that they were then embarrassed, and I was embarrassed. But no, but it was. Yeah, it's just a, it's a weird position to be in, and it's uncomfortable for, for the female in the room as well. Like you don't particularly want to put yourself in that position. So, but it, I, I think it is getting better. And as I said at the beginning, you're now of course on the vendor side. Yeah. Um, so apart from um, pay attention and respect to <laughs> yeah. women, everyone in the room, everyone, everyone in the room, yeah. Um, apart from that, what advice would you? give to vendors about how they should get the best out of customers at trade shows? I think for me, trade shows were more about making the personal connection and meeting people. I always found sometimes um, the, the booth tours were too long because there's the trade shows are huge and having to commit maybe you know over an hour to somebody. if if you're already a customer is not necessarily the best use of anybody's time but I do think maybe that's it needs to be both sides need to have better communication beforehand to say how long do you want to spend with us would you like to see anything new or is it more about just discussing your current projects and maybe that's just the comms need to be better not all vendors are like that for sure but some vendors are kind of a bit more here's your hour and a half slot because we're going to do a booth tour and in the grand scheme of things, sometimes you just don't have that because you're trying to fit in so much in your very short amount of time. And perhaps they don't, the vendors don't appreciate how much respect they will get for actually making good use of that customer's time. Absolutely. I think, you know, people that are really concise in what they need to show you, you, you know, you kind of, you're asking the right questions, you're getting the right feedback. And obviously, if things grow, that's great. But it, it does mean that you you just do get better respect on both sides. I think probably, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Great advice. <laughs> Hi there, Craig. How are you doing? I'm very well, Mark. And this is this is payback for you being on my podcast. So it's always good to chat to you. <laughs> well, look, we're talking to people about their experiences of trade shows over the years, and I'm thinking you've probably been at quite a few. Very much on the vendor side, of course, with that. Yeah, I think the first the first one I did on the vendor side was more than ten years ago. I won't tell you how many more than ten years ago um, with Avid. And so I've presented on the main stage at Avid. I've presented at the pods at Avid. I've done private demo rooms um, over the time. And so yeah, there's been a whole range of experiences through that. What have you got most wrong in that time? Well, in terms of things that, that, that we've got wrong, um, I think part of it is anticipating how many people are going to turn up at nine, half past nine on a, a Sunday morning uh, for, for various things. So you plan a presentation that's going to happen at that time and you end up presenting to the rest of the booth staff who want to try to make the place look, uh, look busy. Um, but I think the other things that we've, we've also got wrong is forgetting that people travel for a long distance to get to shows like this and then you get to mid-afternoon and you're doing a demo in a private room where people have got a seat it's quite warm um, and yes they uh, they begin to fall asleep now I'm sure it wasn't my sparkling conversation that drove them to sleep but it was just the fact of the different time zones and things like that as well so you know perhaps trying to plan things around people's schedules um, might be a little bit better as well have you developed kind of favorite types of customer are there, are there certain types of people that do things that make your life easy well you want to turn up and, and tell you how much they love you you know I mean that's always great when, when people, people arrive for that I think the ones that you want is 
you want people that are interested and ask you lots of questions. You know, you might think that's actually the, the contrast with what you actually want. But I often think if I'm standing there and I'm doing a demo and no one's asking me any questions, is it really kind of resonating or going in with them? So, you know, ironically, when people interrupt and they ask lots of questions along the way, that's a much better demo because I think they go away with a richer experience um, of what you've actually been trying to tell them. But does that and correlate with like them spending more money with you after? So you tend to find the people who really engage are the ones who deliver for you commercially. Not necessarily. I think it's a whole range of things. I think if people come, particularly if they've come and they don't have an avid system, you know, they've got a different type of system, they want to understand what are the differences. You know, why do we think that our solution is perhaps better than, than something that they, they have um, as of today? But it's about engagement. I like talking to people. Here we are talking in the podcast, Mark. You know, and um, you know, we did that. And that, that was one of the things as a journalist I always love to do. So I always think if you've got people engaged and people come along and chat to you, as a vendor, it's never wasted time. It's a small industry. It's great to have those relationships and contacts that you have. So yeah, so the more people are engaged and are chatting to you and asking you questions, I think the better ultimately of, of what you're actually delivering. Do you think there's been, in your, in your time of doing all this, has there been a... Like a great time. Has there been you know, particular years that you think were the, like the great years of, of technology in, in media? So when I left my previous job, as you know, Mark, I worked in STV and, and Grampian TV for a long time before I before I joined Abbott. I joined STV and Grampian at a time where people were telling me that the great days of television were gone and, and all the times that they'd had through the 60s, 70s and 80s were great days. And when I made my kind of leaving uh, speech as I was heading out the door um, at Grampian, the thing I said then was, don't believe people who tell you that the great days are behind you. The great days are these days because these are our days. So I think these days are our great days. Um, things are different. You know, things have changed from how we did things 10 years ago. Um, but these are our days and these are great days. That's a nice message. Thanks, Greg. No worries. And finally, Mark ended his IBC 2023 experience at the DPP Drinks, which we hosted with members BT Media and Broadcast and TechX. So thank you very much to them for their support for our Sunday evening gathering, what I'm told they were turning away the chances who were not already registered. Such was the event's popularity. And at the BT stand, Mark spoke with Anne Dargish, Director Strategic Accounts at TransPerfect, Jenny Nicholson, Vice President of Sales at Deep Dub, Chris Critchlow, Global AV and Events Manager at Deliveroo, and from Dub Former, CEO Anton Dvorkovic, Head of Crowd Localization, Olga Suvorova, and Head of Business Development for Media and Entertainment, Irina Divnogordseva. My name's Anne Dargish. I'm a Director of Strategic Accounts at TransPerfect. Jenny Nicholson, VP Sales at Deep Dub. Great to have you both here, and uh, thank you very much for coming to our drinks. So, uh, you're both probably too young to have been at a huge number of trade shows. No, we love That's you very true. But, but I, I'm still, nonetheless, keen to know uh, what for you has been the most exciting time in media technology, would you say? Um, I think for me, I would say now. I've actually been in media technology and localization for about 20 years. So I've seen a lot and over the years, but now being um, representing an AI localization partner is a very exciting time. It's also a very challenging time. It comes with a lot of, you know, 
upheaval and change, and it's a bit of an industrial revolution, if you will. Um, and with that is struggle, but there's also a lot of excitement. And um, you know, we're seeing people sort of become more interested in the technology and kind of be more open to it, and working with you know the talents and the studios and the content partners to try and. Uh, soften the edges of people that are a little bit, you know, hesitant about AI. Uh, but I think now is a very exciting time for us. Do you agree with that? I think Jenny's spot on. I do think now, but I think largely just because language is just becoming more and more prevalent, and the tools to help deal with that are becoming better and better. So everybody needs language. Everybody's going into multiple languages, and. There's a lot of smart people helping us to do that faster, better. Okay, you said 20 years, so has there been a time for you that has felt less exciting, that you would describe as being a bit of a boring period in media tech? I can't say there's been a boring time because change is constant in our industry, and every time there is change, like when you know, when DVD ended and Blu-ray started, right? I mean, every time there's a big upheaval of change, there's always resistance and acceptance, and those are always exciting times. So I wouldn't say there's ever been a dull moment in what we do. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's been anything boring. You know, we used to talk about a lot of technology. People had a lot of hesitation about it, and you had to be you know, light-footed in how you handled it, and you know, we would never use machine translation. Now people are excited about machine translation. So in the early days, I think people were much more afraid. Now I think people are excited about what technology can do. So I would say at the start. So that's interesting. So it sounds to me like you're saying that kind of the, the customer understanding of what's possible is coming a bit more into sync yeah. What it is that you can offer? You say that? I think customers are getting much more excited about technology because there's so many different iterations of it. You know, just workflow management. I mean, that's not scary. It's scary if you don't have technology to help you with it. But the technology behind it just makes your life that much easier. So I think people are much more curious. They're seeking this information out. And it is much more of a time where people see language and technology hands in hand, however that may manifest. So you do a lot of engaging with different kinds of customers. Um, yeah. In your experience, what is it that, that really makes for an effective engagement? Transparency, understanding their challenges, a lot of communication. I would say. Um, and for you, is there a particular kind of customer that, in terms of how they, what, what, how they behave and what they bring to an encounter that you know is going to make it productive? Same, same answer. To be honest, right. yeah. And 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 honestly, in localization, and, and you may have the same uh, experience. Like we sell to everyone. It's really you know the content partner, the the fast channel, the studio, the broadcaster. There's so many angles about localization, and we have such an interesting perch on the community at, at large in terms of content transparency, and you know them being willing, willing to curiosity. curiosity, willing to see the tech, willing to engage, willing to talk about things, and willing to share their um, their challenge so that we can offer the solution. Tell me about when it goes wrong. Oh, God. In when what it, way? When you, well, when, you, when if you had, like, 
just disastrous encounters with potential customers. Mark, I've never had a disaster day in my life, but I will say, yeah, like we are in a human business still, what despite what people may think. It's still a very human business and people have things going on, you know. Voice talents are unavailable for whatever reason or, you know, natural disasters happen and it totally puts a project off off kilter. But I would say understanding and being solutions oriented is a huge part of it. So as long as you're that, uh, that you find your customers also. Just I love to solve a problem. That is true. <laughs> yes. So I don't actually find discomfort in discomfort, if that uh -huh. makes any sense. I think that's kind of like, that's why you need us, right? You've got a problem that needs to be solved. So I'm, I think, I mean, you kind of have to be used to being in the thick of it. Even, even yeah. in a technology-driven company, at the end of the day, it's human interaction and solution and communication that solve the issues. And after all, solving problems is how you make money. <laughs> Thank you both very much. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. So now tell me, you've been doing trade shows of various kinds for quite a while. Yeah, about six, seven years properly. And, you, and you've always been kind of the customer. Yes. Um, so tell me, in your kind of engagements with uh, the vendor community, what can they get right with Chris and what can they get wrong? Fantastic question. Uh, what they really got, like, or what manufacturers and vendors really get right with me is don't treat me like I'm, you know, coming to you at an L1, L2 level. Um, a lot of people, I don't know, in the first few minutes and first few questions, like first few uh, moments of the uh, interaction, we kind of cut through the mustard and really get into the thick of it. So we're having a tete-a-tete -tete around what I'm actually trying to achieve and really getting into the granularity of the project. So, you know, uh, I met with some great people here today, like uh, the guys over at SNS, um, like uh, storage manufacturers fantastic team I've worked with them extensively over the years and uh, you know today was a prime example I met with Chris Luff uh, one of their technical uh, technical product managers or solutions architects sorry technical solutions architect um, and you know here's my problem and here's what I'm trying to achieve I have a baseline knowledge of how your system can do this how do we get to this end of what I'm trying to solve for and actually we had a fantastic conversation after that like straight into it yeah 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 it was really really useful um, you know and he gave it to me as uh, as I needed it, you know, not in crayon, as you know, as, as if I wouldn't be able to digest it. But we could actually have a technical conversation, where I understand the limitations, understand why product that I thought would be suitable is not. And he's like, oh, actually, do that instead of that, right. and you'll get to where you're trying to where you're trying to land. So, then what's the flip side then? What do people get wrong with you sometimes? Exactly that, giving me crayon. Um, I, I had somebody. Uh, They'll remain nameless for the conversation, but uh, literally this morning, I went over and I've, I've used their product very intimately for the last eight years of my career. Um, and they launched a new, like a new version, a new hardware profile and stuff, and uh, went over and I was like, oh, okay, so does it do this, this, and this? And can we do this, this, and this? Well, actually, if you refer back to the PDF, like, and it was just a bit, I was like, you're kind of losing me and actually there are other people I can go to to talk about this yeah. but ah, super annoying giving it to me in crayon is one I think uh, the other side is probably over complicating it at, like we're not at let's get in a room for two hours and really architect the solution yeah we're at I've got an interest I have a relative understanding of what I think you can help me with um, and 
somebody giving me a level of granularity in like I'm here for you know 15 20 minutes right that level of granularity needs a three-hour workshop and for us to really go through it um, yeah some people overcomplicated it so I think yeah. there's a bit of a sweet spot that yeah, yeah. a lot of the team here like a lot of the teams that I've seen here today have really been getting it right oh, that's good to hear um, in your time then have you ever seen a technology moment uh, that you thought was going to be uh, you know, a huge takeoff and a huge success that actually turned out maybe not to be quite that? Um, yeah, uh, I'd actually say around the implementation and the introduction of 2110. Um, I, I think everybody in the initial phases sold this as this will be easy, this you know, will be largely frictionless, when actually in the reality of it, Unless you have a totally blank canvas and don't have internal network standards to conform to, etc., 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 it's actually quite a complicated thing to do. Um, and also, some of the other like manufacturers and vendor partners aren't there yet. So, as much as you know, things have 2110 capability, uh, they're not inherently suitable or don't do everything that they should do on the tinners yet. So there is still some complication and friction around it. And you know, uh, when you're in the end user space and you're trying to purchase and future-proof, you know, I, I would love to be able to step into an entirely 2110 space, but everything is not where I need it to be for some of the workflows. So yeah, uh, I think I, I definitely jumped the gun on that one in terms of uh, my thoughts around that being a bit frictionless. Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's a hazard. Just off the top of your head, can you think of your, like, your happiest trade show moment? Ooh. My happiest trade show moment was probably uh, NAB 2018. Yeah, NAB 2018. Um, I bumped into a lot of people in probably about half an hour that I hadn't seen since I was touring. Like, you know, I stopped touring in 2015. So, you know, I've done a lot of offsite experiential and done a couple of the tour circuits. Um, but yeah, within the space of about half an hour, I bumped into guys I haven't seen in years. So it was great to just, you know, reconnect. For me, the trade shows are about the people. And I mean that, uh, you know, all the people I meet, uh, just who are here like me, delegate attendee, uh, attendee and also uh, the people from the vendor partners. Who can I connect with? Who can I make a great relationship with? And also, you know, everybody's here for the same interest of delivering great products, great services that, you know, can deliver stellar experiences. And that's where I'm at. So yeah, to continually meet like-minded like people for that, always a pleasure for me. Well, it's great to meet you again, Chris. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Mark. Thank, Thank you. you. I've just found some new DPP members, if you care to introduce yourselves. Uh, my name is Anton. I'm a CEO and co-founder of Dubformer, an AI uh, video localization and dubbing startup. Hi, I am Olga. I run the localization department at Dubformer. Hi, I'm Irina, and I'm responsible for business development, especially in media industry. I think you, you guys have actually had a bit of a, a pivot, a bit of a shift in your business, is that right? From being more in the IT world to more in the media world? Yeah, exactly. This is completely right. So actually, last year we came to IBC. Uh, we were developing AI dubbing technology. We were quite good at it, coming from IT world, coming from machine learning world. Uh, and uh, we were offering our services to different companies back then, to e-learning, to uh, marketing and corporate videos. Uh, but we saw so much positive feedback from media companies. They were uh, just 
going after the technology that we have and asking how do they implement it, how do they reduce cost, inc uh, increase scalability of AI diving. So this made us really think and uh, change strategy a little bit. So uh, how did you manage to get such good engagement so quickly? Because most, most technology companies find it very difficult to get their media customers yeah. to pay attention to them. I guess this is just the right time and the right fit for us. So there's, uh, I imagine, a big pressing uh, in the industry to become more uh, scalable, more flexible, more technological with the new business models that are growing uh, fast. Uh, companies going digital, so they need affordable uh, localization, localization that is uh, that is good, that you can that's broadcast quality, but uses uh, AI and the technology that that is most recent. So this is the right position for us, and we feel like we can deliver. So how did it feel to you guys to be getting involved with the media industry? Does it feel like a a different way of working? You know, I've been working for media industry for more than 20 years right ah. now and I'm absolutely happy to be here, yes, because it has been changing, it has been developing, it's challenging markets, but again, the future is definitely great because it will be a collaboration of artificial intelligence, create new creative projects, and definitely scalability for everybody. There's a lot of excitement at the moment about AI, everybody's talking about AI in the show. Are, are you... Are you only hearing excitement from your customers or are you also hearing anxiety? Because there's that too. Mm, I wouldn't say, we understand right now that it's really difficult to make a first step and to try AI. So that's why we care a lot about the quality and about the final, the final viewer because we, we, we do it, we all, I mean the whole industry do it only for the customer and we do want to make it happen. So that's why we're so concentrated on the quality of localization, of voices and we do want to be part of this family. Olga, what have you got from being here? I'm very, I'm, it, it's amazing, it's amazing to be here and I, I I'm in love with media industry and uh, it is uh, very interesting uh, to do localization for media because uh, there are strong requirements and they need uh, localization to be very great, very good quality. Well, it's great to have you all in the DPB membership. Thank you, so Thank you for being Thank here. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Have a good show. That then is a wrap for another episode of the DPP podcast. Thank you very much for listening and thanks to all of our contributors. I will not name all of you again. We do hope to speak to many more of our members at upcoming industry events. So do get in touch if you would like to contribute. Make sure you are subscribed to the DPP podcast and we look forward to sharing more with you soon.